Hello and welcome to the Pig Edge, Chagas Pig Podcast with me, Kieran Carroll, bringing you all the latest news, information and advice to keep Irish pig farmers up to date. And for this episode, as part of Animal Health Awareness Week, we're looking at postmortems and preparedness, pig health through the laboratory lens, with Margaret Wilson, Senior Research Officer at the Department of Agriculture. And I first ask Margaret to tell us a bit about Animal Health Awareness Week. I'm here um, because of Animal Health Awareness Week, which is an initiative by DAFM, the Department of Agriculture, Food and Marine, which aims to remind the general public, as well as the livestock farming community, how important animal health is to the farming sector. And this year's focus is um, to remain vigilant for the occurrence of exotic diseases. I suppose COVID has educated all of us on the massive impact a new disease can have on the human population. So to remain vigilant that a similar occurrence could have a massive uh, impact on the livestock sector if it were to occur. Animal Health Awareness Week is also about encouraging farmers to take steps to prevent disease from getting into their herds and investigate any disease issues that are occurring. As ultimately disease prevention and disease control protects the herd herd health of that individual farm but then the national herd health and thereby protects agricultural based livelihoods. Very good so if you can start then what's involved in, in the department pig postmortem investigations? Postmortem investigations involve examining the carcass and organs of the dead animals to determine the cause of death. So postmortem investigations are particularly useful when we're investigating complex disease outbreaks or challenging cases or perhaps cases that are failing to respond to the initial treatments. A lot of your pig farmer and vet listeners will be familiar with pig postmortems being conducted on the farm by their visiting vet um, while they're trying to investigate disease outbreaks. But at Daffin Laboratories, we have the potential to be more rigorous in our investigations. And what I mean by that is that we have a state-of-the-art dedicated post-mortem room. So we're able to bring in the carcasses separately, segregate them, conduct the post-mortems and the organ examination in a well-lit, clean environment and collect samples that we want for further testing as aseptically as possible. And then our um, allied uh, testing laboratories for bacteriology, parasitology, virology and histopathology are all on site. So the samples are going directly to those laboratories for further processing, which is pretty expedient. And where appropriate, then we can make use of external laboratories for more specialized additional testing. Um, Not only that, but we have the facilities to do investigations that might be a bit more challenging to do in the field. For example, we're very well set up to be able to sample the brains. Or last year we had an outbreak of um, pelvic fractures, so we were having to examine the whole skeletal pelvis of multiple sows. um, And we were set up to be able to do that in in our laboratory. And we also have storage capacity, so that's digitally storing the results, so like an ongoing trend on a farm can be monitored storage of organs for further testing or storage of bacterial isolates for further workup if necessary. Very good and can you tell me then a bit about the department's pig diagnostic testing? Yeah so we have one of the great strengths of the postmortem facilities here are that we have so many additional diagnostic tests that we routinely provide um, and they're all part of included in the postmortem examination and they'll be interpreted by the assigned vet from DAFM who's conducting the, um, the testing and um, our staff are also highly trained so all the staff that are doing the ancillary testing are trained in the tests that they're carrying out. So for example our microbiology section they're responsible for testing bacteria so they're trying to isolate which bacteria is causing the disease in question 
once isolated, the bacteria can then go forward, forward for further typing, so further characterization of what exact bacteria it is. If necessary, like strepsuis would often require serotyping or for antimicrobial sensitivity testing. We also have virology section, which is responsible for detecting any viruses present that may be causing the disease. Um, most commonly, they are identifying the virus by PCR, so they're searching for the virus's genetic material in the animal's organs. And that's the same method that is currently used to detect COVID infection in people. Um, histopathology is a very specialized discipline that's looking at pieces of the animal's organs under a microscope to detect the exact nature of the damage being caused at a microscopic level. Because sometimes, and typically viruses versus bacteria will cause a different disease pattern on histopathology. So it may give us a better indication of which has the upper hand in this particular outbreak. Um, a great benefit is that all of these testing, so bacteriology testing, virology testing, and histopathology testing, they're running concurrently. So for example, in a pneumonia case, the postmortem might have shown diseased lungs, some lung sample are taken for bacterial culture, actinobacillus pleuropneumonia is isolated simultaneously, some lung was taken for virology testing, and swine influenza is also detected. So now the farmer knows he has two problems, both swine influenza and actinobacillus pleuropneumonia are contributing to the um, pneumonia cases on the farm. And then histopathology examination could further contribute to that by establishing which of these agents is causing most of the lung damage at a microscopic level. Very good. And what is antimicrobial sensitivity testing? That's a great question. Um, and I know it's uh, probably one that uh, the vets listening get as well. Antimicrobial sensitivity testing, it's a really important part of what we do. And I know a previous episode of this podcast addressed antimicrobial use and resistance, which is a growing area of concern for the pig sector because of the cost. So both the cost of an ineffective treatment at farm level and then the wider societal cost of growing antimicrobial resistance in the environment. Um, so what it is, is we isolate a bacteria which is causing a disease in the, in the pigs we've examined. And then we conduct the antimicrobial sensitivity testing on that bacteria. So we take a pure culture of the bacteria um, and we streak it out on an agar plate. Agar plates are what bacteria love to grow on. And they're round little discs about four centimeters across. And then we put a variety of small antibiotic impregnated di discs on the plate with the bacteria. So we'll have about five different antibiotic discs on this plate that the bacteria loves to grow on. So if the bacteria don't grow around a particular disc, we know that the antibiotic in that disc is killing the bacterium. So that bacterium is sensitive to the antibiotic in that disc. If the bacteria, however, don't mind at all that this antibiotic disc is on the plate and they grow right up to it, it is having no effect on those bacteria. It is not killing them. So those bacteria are termed to be resistant to that antibiotic. Um, so the term antibiotic sensitive means that the antibiotic is effective against the bacteria. The term antibiotic resistant means that that antibiotic is not effective against those bacteria. So you can imagine, Kieran, how useful that information can be in a disease outbreak where a treatment has been put in place, but it's not being effective. The possibility that the bacteria are resistant to the treatment being used will be investigated by us. And this can lead to more appropriate antibiotic usage in cases. Not to get too complex, but depending on the organism, we, we test them against the antibiotics that are most commonly used to treat the diseases they cause. So 
We have a, a number of antibiotics that we will use to test against the diarrhea agents like salmonella or E. coli, and the types of antibiotics we would use to test against them would be different to the types of antibiotics we would use to test against the pneumonia agents like a Strepsuis or a Pasteurella, because different antibiotics are effective against different classes of bacteria. Um, all of the testing done in the DAFM laboratories is conducted to international um, clinical laboratory uh, standard institute standards, which are published internationally. And this is important because it means our results are robust and comparable internationally. And ultimately, annually, Ireland does have to report its drug resistance patterns at livestock um, at EU level. And that comes from the department's um, laboratory investigations. And there are specific drug bug combinations that we need to be vigilant to check for resistant patterns in. Um, probably one that your listeners will be uh, familiar with will be MRSA. So we test all Staphylococcus aureus isolates that we detect in pigs against methicillin, which is an antibiotic. If they are resistant to the methicillin, they're considered a methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, and that's the acronym MRSA. Um, so detecting MRSA obviously can have implications both for how you would treat the pigs that have it, but also we need to make the farm aware that there's been potential exposure of farm workers to MRSA, which can have implications for their health. Can you share some examples of disease outbreak investigations that you've been involved in? Yeah, thank you. Great question, because I love talking about pathology. Um, I think it's a very rewarding um, field where we're investigating disease outbreaks. Um, it's like each case is a mini mystery until we have it solved. So an example of a typical investigation we might be asked to assist in would be a respiratory disease outbreak. Um, so imagine one that's causing sudden death in late stage finishers. As you know, deaths in late stage finishers are particularly inopportune for pig farmers because the losses are of animals that they've invested a good deal of time and money in to get to that stage. And in the particular case I'm thinking of, there were also a lot of condemnations at the factory. So there was further losses, even of the pigs that made it to the factory um, in terms of financial loss. Um, a number of these sudden death finishers were then sent to us for post-mortem examination. When we opened up into the chest cavity, we found variably severe pleural pneumonia with um, opaque kind of cream fluid in the chest and adhesions between the lung and the chest wall. D dark purple, heavy, wet lungs, and some of those had abscessation. Our typical approach to these pneumonia type cases is to sample for bacterial culture, virus detection, and histopathology. And the results in this case were an overwhelming growth of actinobacillus pleuropneumonia. And what we saw in the lungs would be consistent with this and the age of animal affected is also fairly typical of an actinobacillus pleuropneumonia outbreak. However, what was probably more significant for the farmer in terms of control is that on the virus testing, we also found swine influenza and PERS. PERS is also known as blue ear. Um, and then I examined the histopathology. So it was showing that most of the damage was due to actinobacillus pleuropneumonia because that's a really aggressive bacteria and it produces a lot of toxins. So it literally breaks down the walls of the lung. Um, but also there was a lot of damage due to this PERS, the blue ear, um, which was also present. So the outcome for the farm was that their veterinary surgeon recommended antibiotic treatment for the immediately affected cases, but a reintroduction of the PERS vaccine and an introduction of a swine influenza vaccine on the farm and a renewed sort of emphasis on that 
each batch of pigs needed to get all of their vaccinations. Another outbreak that we were asked to investigate and that was really interesting was a, a case of meningitis outbreaks. Um, the farmer's vet had asked us to investigate because they were really confident of their diagnosis of uh, strep suis, and it was fitting a very um, typical strep suis type pattern. However, the response to the treatment and vaccination program put in place was not as good as they were expecting. So again, a number of affected animals were submitted to us from the, the herd. We conducted a full post-mortem, uh, including bacteriology and histopathology sampling of the brain. So on bacteriology, we isolated strep suis from all cases submitted, which was as we were all expecting. We then conducted antimicrobial sensitivity testing on these bacteria. And this is where things got really interesting for us. So even though these animals were all from the same age cohort on the same farm, the antimicrobial sensitivity profiles were different. So we got three different profiles of antibiotic sensitivity to strep suis from this one farm. That's pretty unusual for us, and it's not what we expect. We expect that the same antibiotic will be effective against the same organism on one farm. So we decided to go further with characterizing that strep suis, and we sent them forward for serotyping, and we identified three different serotypes of strep suis, which presumably were all circulating on the farm. So these findings then provided guidance on which antibiotic would be effective against all of the strep suis serotypes that were present and also resulted in a change to the strep suis vaccination strategy on the farm and led to a resolution. One of the most common disease entities we get asked to investigate are piglet enteritis cases. Um, this is an area that the, my predecessor in my role did a lot of work on and developing a comprehensive in-house suite of tests to help us best determine the causative agents that are present. Um, piglet enteritis, um, when an outbreak occurs, it can cause significant mortality in the very young piglets. So we're talking piglets that are less than a week old. Because of their size, and their immature kidney function, if they get a diarrhea and stop suckling, they dehydrate really, really quickly, like within hours, and they die very, very fast. So often the expectation of the role that the DAFM investigation is um, providing is to determine the causative agent so that organisms can be, or so that measures, excuse me, can be put in place uh, to reduce or eliminate the risk of recurrence for the next farrowing batch. And the organisms that we check for in these cases include both the common viral agents like rotavirus and bacterial agents like Clostridia, of which there are a multitude. And finally, I suppose another bacterium that we often come across, both as an incidental finding or causing disease in pigs, is Salmonella. I'm sure most of your listeners are familiar with Salmonella in pigs and pig farmers and their vets and the factories go to great efforts to reduce and control the incidence on individual farms. But this is also a disease entity that we still identify and when present, because of the potential for a human disease, we must follow up with the district veterinary office where the farm is located, who carry out checks to ensure that all biosecurity measures are appropriate and adhered to. Very good. That was really interesting. Um, and in terms then, if a farmer has a situation on a farm, what, what does he need to do to avail of these services from the department? Daffam's pig postmortem service is available to all pig farmers and their, or pig owners nationwide. We have a number of regional laboratories and our central laboratory is in Backwestern, Kildare, where I'm located. So we accept pigs for postmortem and also the regional laboratories in Sligo and Cork do. All postmortems, however, should be booked in via your um, private veterinary practitioner. 
Um, so your vet rings us to book in a post-mortem slot with us. They provide us with the history and um, any information about the context of the disease outbreak, which is very useful for us when we're selecting what tests to do as we're doing the investigation. We report the results to, your vet, to, to the vet um, as they become available. So bacteriology might be ready within two or three days, but antimicrobial sensitivity patterns, they take a bit longer. And we provide some interpretation of the significance of the various results to your vets. However, your attending vet is best place to make the interpretations and the treatment calls for each farm because they're far more familiar with what is um, the structure of the farm and the practices on the individual farms. So really, our DAFM post-mortem um, investigations are a valuable tool available to pig farmers via their vets when dealing with a disease outbreak. Very good. And just moving on then, African swine fever, I suppose it's on everyone's mind at the moment. Um, can you tell us a bit about DAFM's African swine fever or exotic diseases preparedness? That's a great question. Thanks, Kieran. Um, I know my colleague, Ethna White, was on the podcast previously talking about African swine fever, and she outlined how DAFM is preparing by providing information on the DAFM website about the clinical signs and how to um, uh, hopefully avoid an incursion. And then they are also involved in signage at the airports and the ports to alert uh, pig owners and the general public about the dangers of ASF and the risk factors of bringing in contaminated meat products. But my section, which is pathology division, we maintain a cohort of trained vets that are ready to respond immediately to a suspected African swine fever disease incursion. In particular, we maintain our competence in pig blood sampling. Um, so we have a small um, pig farm at the Daffam farm. And we also maintain our familiarity with the changes African swine fever would cause in pigs, both while alive, so perhaps bleeding from the nostrils or in the carcasses so that we can quickly sample pigs from a suspected holding um, and get them back for, for testing. Um, so I certainly never hope it comes to pass, but we do have a store of ready kits for pig sampling so that should we, we be required to get on site of a suspected holding, we can respond as quickly as possible. I suppose our goal would be to catch any incursion of ASF very quickly so that we could minimize the impact on the national herd. Very good. And a big risk risk area, I suppose, of concern to commercial pig farms are the smaller operators, the backyard operations. Are DAFM working with these operators too? Yes. Um, I, as I mentioned previously, our postmortem services are open to all pig farmers and owners, regardless of size. And we do have smallholder farmers who use our services. I would say the smallholder pigs that we tend to see have less production diseases and more individual animal diseases or diseases of old age. But I would encourage any smallholder uh, who's listening that is not familiar with our services but think they might have use for them to contact their vet who can arrange for a post-mortem to be conducted within DAFM labs for them. Good and, and finally then how important is it that all owners of pigs even those you know with, with the backyard operations or the small one or two pet pigs how is it how important is it that they have a pig herd identification number? It's very important Kieran. and just to clarify it's also mandatory so I know some people think they're regard the pigs as pets but it's 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 not based on whether you think the pig is a pet the pig is considered a livestock animal even if you do not intend to slaughter it for meat and it is on this basis that you are required as a livestock animal to be registered uh, as a pig herd owner with the department of agriculture food and marine um, 
And in addition to being mandatory, it is also very important so that in the event of a disease such as African swine fever or foot and mouth coming into the country, the department would be able to identify all susceptible animals in an area um, and locate them should they need to be tested. To become a registered pig owner, people should contact their local district veterinary office and the details of those are available on the Department of Agriculture website. Excellent. Thanks very much, Margaret. Thanks very much for having me on the podcast. It was great fun. And I just want to thank all my colleagues in the department labs who also contribute to pig disease diagnosis. And I particularly want to thank the veterinary practitioners and their pig farming clients who support our work by submitting cases to us. That's it for the latest episode of The Pig Edge. And my thanks to Margaret Wilson from the Department of Agriculture for joining me on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss a show. And for more farming information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Kieran Carl, and thanks for listening.